We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for August 3rd, 2008. August 3rd, 2008. And today we're going to be going over several different topics to start out with. Um, kind of a current event update. We're going to be, uh, we actually went up to uh, the Todd Bentley revival in Lakeland this week, and I kind of want to give you an update on that. Uh, we're going to be talking about how the Catholics are trying to make Mary the actual co redemptrix alongside what Jesus Christ is, except actually she would have a higher uh, standing. Uh, we're going to be talking about John Hagee being humbled by the Catholic Church in a recent turn of events, uh, some hate crimes issues. Uh, some startling things on the homosexual lifestyle, some statistics that they do not want coming out. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about Iran and the possibility of what they call an EMP attack and what that would do to the American infrastructure. So to start out with, we'll just kind of give you an update on Todd Bentley. Doug and I had went up there this week and to basically pray against it, essentially, uh, it's probably the most wicked thing that's come down the charismatic circles in a long time. So a lot of times we like to actually, you know, go to these places and, and uh, come against it in the name of Jesus Christ. And I remember, didn't you say, Doug, that when we went in there, we're going to a black mass? And it turned out that was very true because when we, when we got there, the thing that was really weird is the carpet was black, the seats were black, Everybody in the band was wearing black. Every single person that spoke that night wore at least a black shirt. The um, accoutrements around the stage were all black. It was just kind of struck you that it was just a very, very black type of thing. Uh, they had sent up a, it's this real professional tent thing on the grounds of this place called Fun and Sun. It was a, uh, it's right on the uh, the property of an airport there up in Lakeland. And when you sit down, uh, we got there very early. And um, they had all their uh, projector screens and stuff up there. And they would, they would you know, emblazon whatever message they were trying to, to send you. And the, the main message that was, as we were sitting there is that it said, Come get some Fresh Fire Ministries. Now, that phrase, come get some, uh, has a lot of uh, inappropriate sexual connotations to it. Okay, And I'm not going to say anything more than that, but that's the main theme now of Todd Bentley, come get some. Okay, it was right there, you're sitting there, this is what you're seeing. And we also noticed a lot of, particular. I don't think I saw any men, but a lot of the women, there was a lot of charismatic, hyper-Pentecostal women up there, that tend to gravitate to these types of things, and I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean to sound like I'm, I'm chauvinistic, I'm just stating facts, and they were wearing these black shirts, as usual, and it was a shirt I guess you could buy there at Todd Bentley's, and it said, on the cover, it was a black shirt with white letter, and it said, Shikaboomba, I want some. And, that was, and then it said something else in, in smaller letters, I couldn't make it out, but... So, Shikaboomba, I want some. And evidently, that was one of the phrases that he's used. I know he's, he's, they call him the Bam Man. And um, so, we, we saw that. Uh, there were women that, when, when they kind of first started, they, what they did to get everybody in the right uh, mood, I guess you would say, the right demonic mood, they had, prior to anyone coming out and talking, it was a good two-hour uh, 
band jam, I guess you would have to say, where the music was just up and down and up and down. And it was it was exactly what you would expect to see in like a mind control type of experiment. They were trying to get you worked up, evidently, into the right state of mind so that, you know, you could supposedly receive the, the preaching. There were some things that were said in the songs that were just absolutely unbelievable. One song, and it was a woman that was on the keyboard. She was the main vocalist and the main, I guess, leader of the band. And she said in this one particular song, and I put out emails on this, but I've actually heard it now for my own, um, heard it with my own two ears. She said to Jesus, she said, I want to be a laid down lover filled with you. Now, I'm not exaggerating what I just said. That's an exact quote. I want to be a lay-down lover filled with you. Now, I don't even want to really elaborate on that anymore. But you can kind of do the math if you're an adult. And that's pretty about as blasphemous as, of a thing as I would ever. And, they, and it was clear as, as um, some of the words you couldn't hear that much. But that particular part of the song, every time, all the other instruments would basically fade out, and you could hear that very, very, very clearly. So that was one of the songs. Uh, there was These songs would last sometimes a half an hour long. It was just repetitive, back and forth, back and forth, this mantra over and over and over again, up and down, just to get everybody in the right mood. Um, then when the... One particular guy started giving, uh, bringing people up to give testimonies. You know, they were introducing people from all over the world that had flown in, you know, um, Japan and Australia and Holland and all these people. And the first testimonials they gave were on this group of women that had experienced supernatural weight loss that day. I think it was that day or the day before, where they had lost a size and a half in their pants. That was the first testimonials we got that night. Okay, I didn't see anybody resurrected from the dead, but they but they were showing they were getting close ups of them pulling their pants out and and seeing how you know many uh, inches they had lost. So that was uh, I, I guess a pretty big motivator for a lot of people to go there. Uh, there were a lot of women up at the front uh, waving flags. That's a big thing in the charismatic Pentecostal services. And I mean, I'm talking they were going, and some of these women would go nonstop for the whole, just about the whole two hours. And, you know, the the thing looking at all that, it's almost like a big amount of one-upsmanship. Like, I can outdo you. I'm more spiritual than you. And it really was between all the women there. There wasn't really any men getting into that into that level. It was more the women that were up there waving the flags, uh, trying to evidently show everybody spiritual they were. There was one lady that Doug saw as he exited. And I, I, she was all over the place, but she was wearing a, she was wearing this yellow dress. And when Doug saw her, she had a cross over was it over her head? And she was waving around like like at the waist, like in this real was it kind of like a seductive thing, very very seductive thing. Um, as he left the the place, uh, there was a lady doing that, and there was one lady, a Filipino lady. She looked Filipino. She was in the back, and she was just jerking and jerking and jerking, and it was, it was just like this uncontrollable. It looked like she was having, I guess you would say, a petite mal seizure, not to confuse with a grand mal seizure that an epileptic would have. So she was doing her thing. The lady in yellow was doing her thing. And then there was a bunch of women outside that were laying hands on this other woman, and they were travailing in prayer and probably, supposedly trying to de- deliver her from something. Uh, just a lot of very, very, very strange things. There was one lady that was laying down, you said, Doug, and she was 
just doing some really inappropriate things to her own body uh, while she was laying down. Uh, you could go on and on and on. It was like a circus sideshow. Now, I came out of the charismatic Pentecostal movement, so this wasn't that big of a shock, but it was, I would say it was a notch above anything I had ever really uh, witnessed. Uh, going further, I'm just kind of, kind of re- trying to recap everything here, there was also a, a, a policeman that uh, Doug had talked to in regard to this whole thing, and um, you, Doug, you essentially let him know that you didn't approve of what was going on here, and this was kind of a sickening thing. And at that point, the police officer opened up more to Doug and uh, basically told Doug that this whole venture that they're doing up there was all about the money. And he was essentially there for one reason, that was to guard the money. Uh, it was a cash cow, I think was the exact word he used. And um, he was uh, sick, and now this is a guy that's been there night after night. And he sees the whole thing uh, where, you know, they're doing the BAM thing and people. But he was noticing that, you know, the people that came in in wheelchairs left in the same wheelchairs. He didn't, I don't see, think he saw anyone getting healed. Uh, and again, I saw a documentary on ABC Nightline on the Todd Bentley thing the other night. And they tried to get three, all they asked for, three people that had verified medical before and after healings. That's all they were asking for. It's not a whole lot to ask considering they're saying people are being resurrected from the dead. They just said now they've had their 13th person resurrected from the dead. These are all total blatant lies. Okay, And they couldn't even give them three documented, verified medical before and after saying, yes, they're healed now. Now, I'm not saying people cannot get demonically healed because that happens all the time in the New Age movement. So, um, if people are getting healed, you have to look at the spirit by which they're getting healed. And one of the main things that works through the Kundalini spirit, as we as we did in the last teaching on Todd Bentley, the Kundalini uh, spirit is probably, they were saying, at least the New Agers were, one of the main spirits that is all about health and healing within the New Age movement. So, that was kind of an interesting point. So, I'm going to go ahead and end that part here on the Todd Bentley thing, unless you have anything more to add. Uh, it was like going through a spiritual meat grinder. I'm still trying to recover because you really don't know what's happening to you on a spiritual level when you go against and pray at one of these things. It was, you know, it was basically like praying straight for four plus hours. Uh, and I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying that's what we felt compelled to do. It's, it's about the only thing that you could feel compelled to do in that particular situation. And knowing that this is going out to what God TV says, 120 million people every night, um, makes it all the more, you know, severe that, that this is happening. Next thing we're going to talk about, this is an edition of the Battle Cry uh, from Chick Publications. They make the tracks. And it's entitled, Will This Pope Make Mary the Co-Redeemer? Pressure is mounting on the new Pope Benedict XVI to, infallibility, to infallibly declare the Roman Catholic Virgin Mary as co-redemptrix with Jesus the Redeemer. The mediatrix of all graces with Jesus, the one mediator, and the advocate with Jesus Christ on behalf of this human race. Now, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, You don't go through Mary, you don't go through supposedly St. Paul or any of the other various saints that the Catholics pray to, St. Christopher, and all the other idols they bow down and worship to. Uh, 
And isn't it interesting, that's the very commandment they've removed out of their Ten Commandments, which is bowing yourself down to graven images and things of that. They've removed the second commandment and they've split the tenth in two. Okay, now I'm not making that up, they really did. And, and I can, uh, if, you, if you key in the word Catholic on any of my... Uh, teachings in the search box on the home page it'll take you to the sermons on the catholicism and with each sermon you can click into it and you'll see a pdf file there it's a little white box that says pdf you can click on that and it gives you all the documentation it'll load your boat on every just about every aspect of the catholic corruption so that's a good thing to to know about uh when when this is done meaning they're going to make marry the co-redemptrix this will be the fifth dogma defining the position of the Virgin Mary goddess in the Roman Catholicism. The others include Mother of God, Perpetual Virginity, Immaculate Conception, and the Assumption into Heaven. In the 5th century, the popes reasoned that since Jesus was God, Mary must be the Mother of God and deserve worship as such. And again, this is what happens when the Bible talks about for the tradition of men have made the word of God of none effect. Never in the New Testament are we commanded in any way, shape, or form to deify or worship Mary. That is an abomination. I mean, you're not even supposed to deify or worship angels. Uh, but this is, this is how the Catholics have justified the whole goddess baby thing that almost all other pagan religions have. Uh, like Semiramis and Tammuz, the mother and the child. They've got to have their own pagan trinity. And this is how the Catholics justify it. So, perpetual virginity is defined as continuing to be a physical virgin even after the birth of Jesus. That's pretty tough. And thus having no children by her husband, Joseph. This also elevates her, of course she had many other children. Okay, so I think that would rule that out. This also elevates her toward a position akin to divinity. Immaculate conception defines her as without sin from birth, just as Jesus was. But, um, but we know that she had to take a sin offering into the temple. Chick has a really good track on this. It's called Why is Mary Crying? That's the name of it. And it gets into all aspects of this. And it gives you the Bible verse and everything else. So it's a really good track uh, to expose this. So the Immaculate Conception defines her without sin from birth, <clears throat> just as Jesus was. The reasoning is that otherwise Jesus would have been tainted by original sin. Assumption declares that she was taken directly into heaven, body and soul, just as Jesus was. And again, that's a real assumption. <laughs> I know it's what's what it's called, but it is a huge leap of logic to assume any of this. Okay. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So somewhere along the line, this seemed right to some of these popes or whoever came up with this stuff. And, uh, but it was from the pit of hell. So if we go further, now the push is on to further elevate this false redeemer into a position for all practical, practical purposes, which is the co-equal with the divine Savior Jesus Christ. She will be in charge of dispensing God's grace and standing in for Jesus as mediator and advocate for mankind. Now how the Catholics portray her, like in the Baltimore Catechism, and things of this nature, is they'll show Jesus on the throne, this and just enraged, and then it'll have Mary on the side of the throne, going to her son and placating Jesus and trying to calm him down. So that's why we have to go through Mary in order to get to Jesus, because after all, that's, that's his mother, and he's going to listen to his mother, right? But that's, that's again, what they 
the bill of goods they're trying to sell people. So having reduced Jesus to a wafer god stored in a box, the popes have instead directed the worship of the Roman Catholics to this Virgin Mary goddess. So they, 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 they believe through the process of what they call transubstantiation that the Catholic priests can literally transform uh, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ into the Catholic communion host and the wine. And I mean literally. I don't mean figuratively like the true Lord's Supper is supposed to be, a figure and a type. No, no, this is literal. They believe that literally. And that they have this power in order to do this. And this is why they worship uh, this whole Eucharist wafer God thing. And, and you'll see um, a lot of adoration given to that. Thus, we see the steps taken to elevate the lowly Mary of the Bible to a goddess-like position. For centuries, the Roman Catholic laymen have been encouraged to pray to this Mary goddess instead of directly to God or the Lord Jesus. And, you know, Satan eats that up all day long because you can't go through Mary. So all these prayers and all the stuff that all these people are doing, and this, goes, this holds true for any other false religion as well. Satan loves you to go through the motion because actually what you're praying to most likely is some type of fallen angel or a demon or something of, along that line. And your prayers are not being heard by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they sure aren't going to be answered by the Lord Jesus Christ when you're praying to a false deity. And some people would say, well, yes, but you know, Jesus knows my heart and all these other things. Yes, and the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. So this is not something that you want to, you know, want to do. So if we go further, this fifth dogma, she will have effectively elbowed Jesus aside and assumed the central focus of attention for the one billion plus Roman Catholics trapped in the superstition and ignorance of this pagan false church. And that's, you know, I think that's being kind, really, in, in regard to the Roman Catholic Church. They're taking one billion souls right now to hell. And it's a religion, a cult, that has a pseudo-Christian veneer that is taking one billion plus people to hell. And I believe we are called to expose evil. You know, to mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. And to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them. And that's what we're doing today here. But uh, I believe this type of religion is more of an abomination in God's eyes than Hinduism or Buddhism that have no claim of having some type of Christian veneer. They're actually using Jesus Christ or their version of him, to do their dirty work among their other many deities. But they're lumping Jesus Christ in with all this. Therefore, I believe it's more of an abomination in God's sight than the average pseudo-religion uh, that doesn't bring Jesus Christ into it. If we go further, this is just another step in Rome's attempt to draw all religions under the Pope. Now, this is the important part. Most false religions have a female goddess central in their worship. If they can be persuaded that their goddesses are really the Catholic Virgin Mary, the Pope can declare himself the head of all religions at that point. Now, Mary is starting to show up appearing to Islam, the, the Muslims. She's, she's had a lot of appearances to them. Now, the Catholic Church actually started the Islamic religion, and they have a whole, um, Chick has a whole, they have a, it's a comic book format, but it talks about this, where it, it goes into the, the very beginnings of the Islamic religion. It's very interesting. But almost all 
false religions have some type of female goddess at their center. And again, all we're, we're looking in here with the Roman Catholic Church with Mary and baby Jesus is very, very much akin to like Isis and Horus and Semiramis and Tammuz. And, and it's just repackaged uh, paganism with the mother goddess and child god worship. Okay, That's all we're really seeing with the Roman Catholic Church. Chick Publications has books by more than one author who have once been snared by the Pope's deceptions. From seven years old, Dr. Alberto Rivera was trained by the Jesuits in the secret plans to destroy the Christian resistance. Now, the Jesuits, that's what they specialize in. They're, they're, they're specializing in particularly destroying the Christian resistance and you know, bringing about the, the uh, dominance of the Catholic Church. These plans are detailed in the seven books in the Alberto series, uh, that you can get from Chick. Another book exposing the deception of the popes is written by Charles Chickenry. <laughs> I'm not sure how you spell his last name. But anyway, he spent 50 years in the Catholic Church. He grew up in a Catholic home and became a priest. For many years, he struggled between being faithful to the Pope and obeying the Bible. His bishop demanded that he give up the Bible and submit completely to Rome tradition that contradicted the Bible. Instead, he led his congregation out of bondage to the Pope and into the freedom in Christ. In spite of his many attempts on his life, he was able to detail his struggles in his book, Fifty Years in the Church of Rome. He shows how the Roman Catholicism has done the same as the Pharisees, by making the word of God of none effect by their tradition. That's Mark 7.13. Now, next thing, I'm going to just go to the very back page of this battle cry, and this is from Jack Chick, and this is kind of an excerpt from that. He always writes a letter at the end of it. And he says, this prostitute church, meaning the Catholic church, is sending over a billion Roman Catholics into hell through her religious lies, perverting and hiding biblical truth from her captives, promising them heaven only if they remain faithful to their evil religious system. And it's a, it's a religious system based purely and totally on works. Keeping the seven sacraments, doing all this and doing that, being a good Catholic, you know, going to confession, all the other things they have to do. Whereby, you know, the Bible says that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So it's teaching, like all other religions in the world, a religion of works. And that's how you get to heaven, or some religions call it nirvana, some call it paradise. But all those religions are based upon works. So what does the great whore know of love and forgiveness? Those who leave the flock are called renegades, deserving death. One of the daughters of the great whore, Islam, is exactly like Mama. Death to those who leave. And that's a good point because, and again, if you study this thing out, you'll see that Islam was actually created by the Catholics and they have very much uh, some of the core same beliefs in how they approach things. God tells us, reward her even as she has rewarded you and double unto her according to her works in Revelation 18.6. God calls us to expose her bloody history and tell of the millions who have suffered and died by her hands. Ephesians 5.11 So, this is what we're kind of trying to do today. Uh, to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. And the, there's the blood of absolutely millions is been shed by the Catholic Church, particularly through the Inquisition. Rome is building a super church, pulling all churches and religions together for the Antichrist. The great falling away of 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 is happening right before our eyes. Like the TV evangelist, 
the whole evangelical movement is in danger of quietly crawling back to the great whore. Now, we're going to talk about that TV evangelist named John Hagee in a second. Thank the Lord Jesus for those men of God who are still brave enough to expose this monster from their pulpits because, quote, in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints that were slain upon the earth. Revelation uh, 18.24 Thousands of precious uh, Roman Catholics have been saved and pulled out of this phony religious system through tracts and the Alberto comic book series and a lot of these books that were mentioned as well. Keep passing them out, beloved. We have, uh, we have to love them enough to warn them while there is time. And he said, your brother in Christ, Jack. So now we're going to go to... Okay, so the second part here is uh, about the, the uh, John Hagee. And um, this is... Uh, you know, John Hagee's done a lot of things lately, uh, like basically saying that, you know, uh, Jesus did not come to redeem the Jews and these types of things, that Jesus was not the Messiah. He's done this in his book in, called In Defense of Israel, and we did a whole teaching on this. And um, so this doesn't really surprise me that this would come out after, after that. Uh, because what we're seeing is the slippery slope. You know, you, you give the devil an inch, you take a mile. And John Hagee's true colors are showing more and more and more as we get further and further into the end times. This starts out by saying more evidence of this extensive involvement of the Catholic Church in American politics surfaced recently. Pastor John Hagee of Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Texas, was pressured to state publicly that the prostitute church of Revelation 17 and 18 is not the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I don't go so far as to say that the Roman Catholic Church is just going to be autonomous and by itself in Romans 17 and 18. I believe it's going to be a conglomeration. It's going to be a one-world church, with most likely the Catholic Pope being the head of it. But it's going to be an amalgamation of all false religions. So I'm not going to go so far as to say it's all Catholic, every bit of it, because then we would have to discount all the other religions as well. So I don't, I don't go that route either. There's a lot of people that say, oh, it's all the Catholic Church. And then there's some people that say, oh, no, it's only the Kabbalistic Jews. It's all them. It's a combination effort. The one world order, the new world order that's coming under Antichrist is going to be an amalgamation of, of everything. So it goes on to say, Hagee has written a book uh, called Jerusalem Countdown, and he said that the Vatican sold out to Hitler and never protested the Holocaust. Well, that's true. Well, because of Hagee's large Christian following, he recently declared his support for Republican candidate John McCain. Isn't that great? Catholic political activists immediately began demanding that McCain refuse the endorsement unless Hagee apologized for his bigotry and intolerance. Hagee agreed to meet with a group of Catholic leaders and afterwards issued a letter of apology to William Donahue, president of the Catholic League of Civil and Religious Rights. How pathetic. In it, he stated, after engaging in constructive dialogue with Catholic friends and leaders, I now have improved understanding of the Catholic Church. I'm, I'm so glad he saw the light. It's re and its relationship to the Jewish faith and the history of, of anti-Catholicism. End of quote. So this is what John Hagee's having to do to backpedal in order to uh, please the great whore of the Catholic Church. He goes on to deny that the Roman Catholic institution is identified in Revelation 17 and 18 and stated that he believes that, Catholic, that true Catholic believers will go up in the rapture. 
So I'm glad we got that straight now. Now the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. John Hagee showing himself to be a very, very, very unstable man. Denying Jesus Christ as the Messiah, saying the Jews don't have to go through Jesus Christ. They get out of uh, jail, free card pass, it's called ethnic salvation. Uh, in his book, In Defense of Israel, he got into that. Now he's saying that he's backpedaling on his stance in the Catholic Church. So, you know, this is what you expect to see from a double-minded man. And a hireling that has no true love for the sheep. Somebody is, that is a hireling does it for the money, does it for the hire. And that's what he's showing himself to be. A wolf in sheep's clothing. A minister of Satan. He continues with high praises for the popes John Paul II and Benedict XVI and Catholic and Evangelical cooperation in uh, in promoting the primacy of faith and values in our increasingly secular society. I tell you, there's a lot of there's a lot of supposed Christian organizations that are yoking themselves up with the Catholic Church, and they're doing it very subtly. I was at one time supporting a uh, uh, anti-abortion uh, group. And they were really hardcore. But I got these cards from them recently, and they were the kind of cards you could give out that were against abortion. And as, as uh, I had Taylor looking through them, because I wanted to see what they all said, there was a lot of quotes from like Mother Teresa and the Pope and all this other stuff. And I will not ever give them another dime because they're yoking themselves up with the whore. I am not going to yoke myself up with a Catholic just because I agree with them on their stance on abortion. It's, it's not, you don't want to do that. Uh, because then you will become leavened by them if you start to yoke up with them and become in unity with them. Hagee's improved understanding of the history of anti-Catholicism is pure Catholic revisionism of history. Rome has been working hard to cover its tracks both during the Inquisition and in the 20th century. Jack Chick in his book Smokescreens documents both the horrors of the Inquisition and the Vatican's intrigues during and after World War II. Tens of millions in Europe were massacred or executed in Rome's attempt to stop the Reformation. One of the most famous was the St. Bartholomew Massacre in France. In one night, all the houses of the Christians in the city were forced open, and over 10,000 were slaughtered in just three days. In Ireland, another surprise attack was made on the Christians after a time of peace and false security. The Catholics are butchers. Absolute, total butchers. And I've done whole studies on this stuff. These people, unfortunately, are... If they're not totally demon-possessed, they're heavily demon-oppressed. And I mean that literally. Um, you evidence this by when you start looking at the Inquisition and the Mass that they were praying at the time, which was called the Tridentine Mass, which just so happens they've brought back. They've also brought back the Office of Inquisition into the Catholic Church. Pope Benedict was responsible for that um, uh, when he was, uh, uh, before he became the Pope. So they brought back this Tridentine Mass and they've brought back the Office of Inquisition that was responsible for the slaughter of millions of peoples. The Tridentine Mass, the, the funny thing about it was is the people that, that were slaughtered by the Catholics or some of them that witnessed this said that the Catholics could be very, very good, buddy, nice people one day. And then all of a sudden, if the Catholic Church gave the commission or gave the go-ahead to slaughter uh, non-Catholics, their teeth would start to show and they would turn into absolute total butchers as though they were demon-possessed. One of the key things of that was them praying this Tridentine Mass. This is Satanism. This is witchcraft, what they're doing. Okay, So 
you know, I'm just being, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, to give you a uh, perspective on this that you're not going to get a whole lot of other places. Also documented in the smoke screens in the secret history of the Jesuits by Edmund Paris is the Vatican scheming behind Hitler in World War II. Detailed pictures show Nazi and Roman Catholic officials together with nuns and priests. Other pictures show brutal killings of those opposed to the Catholic-backed armies. But as soon as it appeared that Hitler would lose, the Pope quickly switched his allegiance and came out smelling like a rose. America was founded by men fleeing the Pope's wrath. But this, was, but this part of our history has been buried or rewritten. Today's leaders are so poorly informed that they have no defense against Rome's sugar-coated lies. While our government is focused on the Muslim threat to our way of life, another more subtle evil is circling. Also bent on destroying the freedom of the Bible believers enjoy. Jack Chick says in, the, in smoke screens that, quote, Rome, when in minority, is as gentle as a lamb. When, he, when inequality is as clever as a fox. And when in majority is fierce as a tiger. So see, they were in the majority during the Inquisition. And that's when they show their true colors and their teeth. Okay? And they will slaughter people by the millions. Jesuit trained leaders and advisors are rapidly becoming a majority in our halls of government. John Hagee just experienced the fierceness of the wrath and chose to bow down to the Pope. So, again, that's another thing about good old John Hagee. The next article we're going to be talking about is entitled Canadian Hate Speech Laws, a Warning to the U.S. Canada is becoming an object lesson for those in the U.S., who are pushing to make hate speech illegal. A couple of years ago, Canada's leading news weekly magazine, Maclean's, published an article arguing that the rise of Islam was a threat to Western values. Two members of the Canadian Islamic Congress lodged a complaint with the British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal. They claimed that the magazine violated a provincial hate speech law by stirring up the hatred against Muslims. Now, it's okay for Muslims to go around in the streets with their signs like they've done in many, many places. I've, I've even got a lot of pictures of this where they'll say, behead those that, that insult Islam, kill those that mock Islam, um, uh, all these things that, they, that they'll say. It's okay for them to do that. It's okay for them to strap bombs on and go and, and blow people up all in the name of Islam because that's how they express their their religious fervor, that's all right. But if you dare speak against them, oh, they'll just come out of the woodwork condemning you and wanting to play the hate speech card when their whole religion is based on pure hatred. So after five days of the hearings, the tribunal is to rule on the case in a few days. Go further here. If McLean avoids a penalty, they will be more fortunate than Pastor Stephen Bozanin in Alberta, Canada, a similar human rights commission has sentenced him to a life of silence. This is in Canada. In 2002, he wrote a letter to the editor of the Red Deer Advocate. This is a letter to the editor, okay, in a, news, in a newspaper, opposing same-sex marriage. A local homosexual activist filed a complaint with the Alberta Human Rights Commission after a series of hearings, Pastor Boisenin was forbidden to speak or write anything disparaging about homosexuals for the rest of his life. In addition, he was required to submit an apology through the Red Deer Advocate and pay $5,000 in fines to the offended activist who filed the complaint. I tell you, if this doesn't make your blood boil, I don't know what will. So this pastor had to pay $5,000. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have paid it. I'm sorry. I would not have paid it. I would not apologize and I would not have paid it. 
well, yeah, but you would, they'd throw you in jail. Well, then they're going to throw me in jail. I'm sorry. I, 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 it's not even an option. It's not even an option. When we start bowing down and cowing down to sin, the devil has us right where he wants us. And God will always test you. And again, I don't want to come down, you know, like, I mean, I'm glad he wrote the letter, but, you know, his response, I believe is wrong from a biblical standpoint. I don't think Jesus would have paid the $5,000 fine. I don't think Jesus would have made a formal apology to the homosexual. He would have loved them enough to tell them the truth. Okay, and the Bible says, I may therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Galatians 4.16. So if we go further, Canada, along with England, France, and Germany, South Africa, Australia, and India, have all, all laws banning hate speech. In fact, the U.S. is almost alone in major world nations with a con- constitutional guarantee of free speech and religion. Yet there is a move in our government to establish laws against discrimination that will trump the Constitution. Two cases that we just talked about demonstrate how the enforcement of these laws will play out. Instead of such cases being handled by the regular courts, these human rights commissions and tribunals are staffed by appointed bureaucrats who sometimes have little or no professional experience in the freedom of speech or freedom of religion issues. Yet they have the power to bring civil charges against businesses, individuals, requiring costly defense. Two recent cases have surfaced in the U.S. In in New Mexico, a Christian couple who ran a photo studio, politely declined to film a commitment ceremony for a lesbian couple. Now, I don't know if any of you know this, but now that California has uh, legalized same-sex marriages, the homosexuals are flocking out to California in order to get married. And what they're hoping is because they got married out there, they go back to their home state, then all states are going to have to make it legal, which I I would imagine it's probably going to happen. Jesus Christ said, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He also says as it was in the days of Noah. But the days of Lot, well, what do we see there? Sodom and Gomorrah. The homosexuals had taken over, essentially. So, these lesbians that were offended, okay, it's okay for them to offend us through their vile, sickening lifestyle. It's okay for gays to have things like, you know, bathhouses and public sex and things of this nature. And we're going to be talking about gays in a second. We're, we're going to be talking about that. It's okay for them to do all that, just like the Muslims. But we have to sit back and take all of their, all of this shoving this down our throats. We have to sit silent, though. We can't say anything about it. That's, that's what they want. So if we go further, uh, the lesbians complain, forced the photographers to appear before the New Mexico Human Rights Commission. They were fined more than uh, $6,600. A couple of years ago in Southern California, the Pacific Justice Institute successfully defended Pastor Audie Yancey before the Antelope Valley Human Relations Task Force. While he was charged with a hate crime for distributing gospel tracts referring to Allah and using the 9-11 attack on the towers as a talking point. Uh, PJI argued successfully that no crime had been committed. Okay, the Pacific Justice Institute. However... There have been hate speech laws in force. The verdict would no doubt have been entirely different. In countries that have hate speech laws in place, both homosexuals and Muslims have been successful in silencing Christians who speak out against their agendas. 
Both of these groups have increasingly powerful friends in our government and courts. And isn't it funny? The homosexuals find themselves yoked up with the Muslims. Those are the two ones that benefit most from the hate speech laws. And again, it's such hypocrisy because they can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want, do whatever they want, essentially. And they're okay. But, but we can't say anything as Christians against them, according to the government. Uh, there's that Bible verse that talks about, you know, I would rather obey God than man. Choo- choose whom this day w- which we will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. So we're all going to be put in a position, if we haven't already, to choose whom this day who we're going to serve. Let's see here. Anti-discrimination laws are in place forbidding any negative reference to homosexuality in our schools. Colorado now has a law permitting transgendered men men who claim they are really female, access to women's restrooms and locker rooms. Now, women, ladies out there, how would you feel if you had a transgendered homosexual man coming into the bathroom with you? Wouldn't that make your skin crawl? I mean, I'm telling you, you got to be really, really demon-possessed of the toenails in order to be, say you're a transgendered man. You know, That's, that's about as bo- the bottom of the barrel as it can get. Now, anyone who objects is subject, though, if you object to them coming into the restroom in Colorado. Now, Colorado is a new age hotbed. Beautiful place, but it is an absolute new age hotbed. And anyone who objects to this restroom thing in locker rooms is subject to a fine in prison time. Isn't that great? It's funny, you know, you see these guys, these murderers that get basically slaps on the hand. And you see people that do, that do things that aren't even crimes, like Something like this if you were to speak out against this. And they actually wind up in prison. That's where we've got to. Jesus said he had to work while it was yet day. Because the night cometh when no man can work. That's where we're going. The night is soon upon us when no man... This is why I'm trying to get as much as I can up on sermon audio. Because I really don't know when this is going to get taken down. It's really a matter of time according to the Bible. It has nothing to do with me having a lack of faith. Yes, God could could keep the teachings up there indefinitely. But the night cometh when no man can work. And um, that's what the Bible says. So as Bible believers, we do need to redouble our efforts in regard to these issues. You know, according to as the Lord impresses upon your heart. Now we're going to go to an appropriate thing uh, after what we just talked about. And this is called homosexuals hiding an inconvenient truth. Now this is amazing what we're going to be going over next regarding homosexuals. The homosexual juggernaut has seemed unstoppable. But there is one inconvenient truth that they hope will never get widespread attention. The organization, Americans for Truth About Homosexuality, is calling for a breaking of the silence on the health risks of homosexual practices. Uh, They stand for A-F-T-A-H. That's the abbreviation of this organization. They cite that the Federal uh, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, Uh, Reasons for banning male homosexuals from donating blood as proof of these risks. So the FDA has come out and banned male homosexuals from donating blood. That's proof of these risks. The FDA statistics are as follows. Now this is the FDA. Okay, Men who have had sex with men since 1977 have an HIV prevalence 60 times higher than the general population. Oh, it's only 60 times? Yeah, we just need to stand silent about that one. And then, higher than the population, and 800 times higher than that of first-time blood donors. Oh, only 800? 
Only 800 times? Yeah. Let me just read that again. Men who have had sex with men since 1977 have an HIV or AIDS prevalence 60 times higher than the general population and 800 times higher than the first-time blood donors and 8,000 times higher than repeat blood donors. Oh, only 8,000 times? Why are we straining at gnats and swallowing camels? Now, I'm saying that sarcastically. Infection with hepatitis B virus is about five to six times more common, and hepatitis C virus infections are about two times more common than in the general population. Additionally, they have an increased incidence and prevalence of the human herpes virus 8, which causes a cancer known as Kaposi's sarcoma in immunocompromised individuals. When you see these AIDS people, I saw this one interview the other day of this this uh, homosexual. Now, supposedly this guy got saved on his deathbed. I, I, I pray to God he didn't. He really looked sincere. But the man was covered in black, this Kaposi sarcoma. It's nasty stuff, okay? And it's end time. It's, it's what you get in, in the end stages of, of HIV and AIDS. And um, it's nasty stuff. I mean, he looked like an absolute monster. And all I could think, and he was saying, you know, this is judgment. This, because of my lifestyle, this is, and, and you know, he was admitting he deserved it, but the Kosposi sarcoma uh, had really covered his whole body. He died that day, it said. This was the last interview this guy had, had done. And I tell you what, it was really, really sobering. And when I think about this, you think about just, you know, the judgment on Sid. And the Bible talks about the wicked not living out half of their days. It says that in the book of Proverbs. And what we're going to be talking about next confirms that. Research by the Family Research Institute of Colorado has discovered that the average lifespan of the male homosexual is only 39 years. I thought it was 50. No, it's only 39 now. Dropped even more. 39 years? That's unbelievable. Where 80% of married men live past 65 80% of married men live past 65. Only 2% of homosexuals live that long, past um, 65. As shown in the accompanying chart. See, God's word is true today as it was a thousand years ago. This is just as true. And sin has a price that is going to be more than you're going to be willing to pay or want to pay. Okay. Now, whatever you suffer in this life as a homosexual is nothing compared to hell. And that's where they're, they're, they're destined for, unfortunately, uh, unless they get saved. And there's very few people that do. The Bible talks about in Romans 1 that they've been turned over uh, to a reprobate mind and these types of things. Men burning after women, uh, men and women leaving the natural use of their own body. This is the end stage of about the bottom of the barrel of any sin issue you could get to. But the only thing you could do worse is child molestation, and there is a disproportionate amount of homosexuals that are also child molesters. If you do the math and you do the percentage-wise comparisons, there's a huge amount of child molesters that are also homosexuals. Uh, in, um, the uh, same-sex men um, wanting to have sex with uh, little boys and things of this nature. You know, stuff that you can't even, even conceive. And I think it's about 30% of all child molesters are homosexuals. And yet, if they're only, what is it, 2 to 3% of the population, why is that percentage so high if this is just a natural thing, if they were just born that way? Going further, it says the FRI found that sodomites were 116 times more apt to be murdered 
116 times more apt to be murdered. Now, this goes into the whole lifespan of 39 years. Not only is it the AIDS, not only is it the hepatitis C that's killing them and the other, whatever other diseases they're exposing themselves to, but they're 116 times more apt to be murdered. I mean, weren't the men of Sodom, weren't they? They didn't have a problem with murder and they would have, they would have killed whatever to get what they wanted. It's demon possession when you get to this point. It's not natural. It's not that you were born that way. You may have been born with the generational curses. The sins of the forefather are carried to the third and fourth generation. These types of things. Demonic baggage. Maybe they had homosexuality in their, um, in, in, uh, you know, their family. These same spirits pervade. Okay? Unless the curses are actually broken. And, and really the only way to properly do that is to get saved. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Doug just brought up a good point in regard to the Nazi brown shirts. Um, Homosexuality was incredibly prevalent within the upper echelons of the Nazi regime. And look at what that bred. Look at the type of bloodthirsty uh, killing machine that it bred. There's a whole book written on this called The Pink Swastika that you can get. You can just do a keyword search for it. It goes into this whole thing on how the homosexual lifestyle had permeated into... You know, the Nazi regime. And it goes hand in hand with that type of lifestyle. So, homosexuals were 116 times more apt to be murdered, statistically. 24 more times apt to commit suicide. Oh, they're gay. The word gay used to mean happy. No, they're not gay. No, most of them are miserable, if the truth be known. They're caught in such wickedness and sin that they can't see straight. So that's why they're 25, 24 more times apt to commit suicide. Why isn't this on the front of the newspaper? There's statistical facts here. I'm not making this stuff up. Oh no, it wouldn't be politically correct. We might, we might offend some of the homosexuals. Whatever. They need to be offended. The only chance of them ever getting, having any chance of going to heaven is uh, them recognizing their sin state, realizing that they're on their way to hell. And getting saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's their only hope. And again, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Do we love them enough to tell them the truth? These types of things. So if we go further, they had traffic accident death rates 18 times the rate of comparably aged white males. Now, if this isn't God's judgment, I don't know what is. You could say, well, the reason they're getting the diseases is because of the promiscuous lifestyle and they're, they're They're transmitting the sexually transmitted diseases because most of them have the morals of an alley cat. Most of them have, some of these uh, homosexuals, On quite a few have hundreds of male partners. I'm sorry, I don't understand that. I just, it doesn't compute to me, but they do. But this statistic, 18 times the rate of death in traffic accidents? It's God's judgment. Plain and simple. Heart attacks, cancer, and liver failure were exceptionally common. 20% of lesbians died of murder. So let's not forget about the lesbians. 20% of lesbians died of murder, suicide, or accidents. 20%? That's a lot. That rate is 487 times higher than that of white females aged 25 to 44. So the lesbians died at a rate 487... 487 times higher than that of white females in regard to murder, suicide, and accidents. It's God's judgment all the way. Plain and simple. No sugarcoating on this at all.
I love statistics to back up the Bible. You know, you, you've got, it's just a nice thing to have. In their website at, this is familyresearchinst.org, Family Research Institute or inst.org. In their website, they detail the disgusting and unsanitary sexual practices that contribute to this early death sentence. You know, I'm sorry, but the homosexuals do some things that is absolutely not even appropriate for me to talk about. Not even appropriate for me to bring up. It's stuff that I, it's pretty tough to conceive, but that's what they do. And because Satan has his hooks into these people so far, Satan will always bring you, if you let him, to the bottom rung barrel, if you let him. He will always do this. And sin has a price. So, the outing of the homosexual lifestyle in our culture has unleashed over 50 sexually transmitted diseases. AIDS is just one of them. Now, AIDS is a very controversial subject because AIDS was ab- actually created in a laboratory setting and given in the hepatitis, I believe, B vaccine in Chicago, San Francisco, and New York in the late 70s. Okay, now, Dr. Leonard Horowitz has done a whole study on that. Now, Dr. Leonard Horowitz is pretty much a new age guru as well. But statistically speaking and factually speaking, in regard to that subject, I think he's done a very good job. So just bear in mind, if, if you go and look at his research, um, he has a very uh, new age bent to him. But the, um, his documentation is really good in regard to that. And he's not the only one saying that AIDS was created in a laboratory. In spearheading the drive to expose the health risks of what sodomites do, Peter La Barbera, president of this AFTHH, points out that, quote, while schools can, can and must protect every child from harassment and abuse, it is contradictory to promote homosexuality in the name of safety because the evidence is so overwhelming that same-sex behavior is a serious health risk, especially for males. Yeah, you know, 39-year lifespan? Unbelievable. Now, I got statistics the other day saying the lifespan in America is down to 69 uh, years old on average, uh, in large part due to the chemtrails and all the chemicals we're exposed to and all the other things they're trying to do to the food and the water to kill us, okay? Because they're trying to get world population down to 500 million, which is what, according to the Georgia Guidestones, and a lot of people like Ted Turner and the New World Order boys, they're trying to get the population down. Okay, so this is one of the ways they're doing it. They're doing it through AIDS and, and this type of thing. But they're, they're doing a real good uh, job on the homosexuals because they're, they're dying at the average age of 39. Now, this next part, uh, schools are being forced by new family state laws to teach homosexual families are normal. See, that's the lie that they're trying to shove down everyone's throat. The Philadelphia Inquirer recently reported that Chatham Park Elementary School in Haverford Township is grappling with the problem of a nine-year-old third-grade boy who claims to be transgendered. Nine years old, third grade. I saw this thing uh, the other day just flipping through uh, channels. Uh, Oprah was on, and she had her homosexual two male lover gay boy guys up there, and they had this whole thing of children. They were with them. They were all their kids. They had adopted all these kids. And she was like, well, who's the mother and who's the father in this relationship? And they go, oh, I'm the, I'm the mother. And the other guy, yeah, you know, he's more the male figure. They've got to have some type of uh, a semblance of, of um, you know, the whole mother-father thing. And they were just trying to portray this as the most normal, good thing. And I, and I thought, you know, looking at those two guys, 
I don't feel sorry, you know, for them, where, where they're going to go. I mean, I pray if it be possible, their souls be saved. But what they're doing to those children... The Bible said that it were better that if a millstone were hung about this man's neck and he were cast in the midst of the sea, then you offend one of these little ones that believe in me. And talk about offending a little one, you know, because that's all they're ever going to know. They're, they're, to them, the normal thing will be same-sex marriages. And they were talking about the neighborhood they lived in. Nobody ever said anything to them in a disparaging way. And I guarantee you if they had, they'd probably have a lawsuit filed against them, most likely, because you're going to offend the gay people. Or whatever. So yeah, but this third year, third grader claims to be transgender. His parents asked the school for help in making a social transition for their child. The school sent letters to parents advising them that the guidance counselor would meet with the school's hundred third grade students to explain why their classmate would now wear girls' clothes and be called by a girl's name. The guidance counselor met with the kids to explain this to them. Is this insanity? Soul winners and sodomites will not stop until they silence. Um, soul winners, the sodomites, will not stop until they silence every voice that dares to object to their destructive behavior. Most of all, they want to stop anyone from st- stating God's opinion. And again, there's many Bible verses on this as well. Laws are in the works to do just that. Only a bold counterattack by Bible believers can stop them. Well, we know, according to the Bible, that evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, according to 2 Timothy 3.13. Uh, but we are still called to be salt and light. Then they go on to say here, we are, we are losing the battle against the Sodomite agenda because of our silence. Well, I, I agree for the most part. The pulpits are totally silent about this. Because, see, they're a 501c3 corporation. Almost every single um, pulpit across America is that. Okay? They have some type of corporate status so that they can have the um, tax-exempt status. People can write off their tithes on their, on their income tax, and then they can get tax and governmental subsidies and things of this nature. Because they were an entity created by the government, by the Internal Revenue Service, they have to abide by the government and the Internal Revenue Service's laws. Because if you're created by the government, you have to abide by whatever created you, right? And that's the thing that, that they're finding out now. That these churches, who may at one time have spoken out against homosexuality, are becoming more and more and more silent. Because as the homosexuals become more vocal, they're going to start enacting these hate crime uh, laws, and people aren't going to be able to uh, say anything from the pulpit anymore. Most of us would rather not even think about this nasty subject, much less talk to a stranger about it. Chick Publications has two tracks that state clearly God's opinion of this abomination. They are Doomtown and Sin City. If every soul winner would place one of these tracts out a day where, where others can read it, public opinion may start to shift. You know, I think that's being salt and light, essentially. So, this next article is entitled, Is Britain Finished? Several reports coming out of Britain indicate a growing concern about the increasing influence of the Muslim population. The Bishop of Rochester and uh, Reverend Michael Nazir Ali recently faced death threats after writing in the Sunday Telegraph that Islamization, meaning the uh, Islam taking over essentially, that this Islamization was turning some communities into no-go areas for non-Muslims. In other words, people can't even go into these areas. 
This was illustrated recently when two street preachers were witnessing in a Muslim neighborhood in Birmingham, England. They were told by police that they could not preach there and that attempting to convert Muslims to Christianity was a hate crime. They were told to leave and they return, and if they returned and were beaten up, that, that they had been warned. Nazir Ali also observed that Christianity had been replaced with the endless self-indulgence in British society, leaving a vacuum that Islam was more than ready to fill. He doubted British society had the moral and spiritual strength to resist this attack. Well, considering that Britain is the number one uh, per capita witchcraft center of the whole world, um, you know, that's really no surprise. Other disturbing signs are showing up. Britain's biggest teacher union is calling for the teaching of the Koran in the public schools. So can you imagine they're going to be teaching the Koran in public schools? Unbelievable. One Catholic school. Now, how does this work? It says one Catholic school with over 90% Muslim students is being petitioned by the parents to convert the school to instruction in Islam instead of Catholicism. Now, uh, number one, how does a Catholic school get 90% Muslim students? Wouldn't they, wouldn't you think they'd have a problem with that, the, the, the Islamic parents? But it's being, but again, the Catholic Church was the creator of the Muslim religion, so in, in a way it does make sense. But they're being petitioned to convert the school to an instruction in Islam instead of Catholicism. Well, I guess if you've got 90% Muslim students, I guess I can see how they do that. Archbishop Rowan Williams, head of Britain's Anglican Church, recently stated publicly that it was unavoidable and that some parts of Islamic law would be introduced into British society. This law is the foundation of governments in Iran and Saudi Arabia that forbid all forms of Christian witness. During the Islamization of a nation, at under 2% of the population, Muslims are viewed as a peace-loving minority. When they approach 5%, they develop enclaves and ghettos where Muslims are unwelcome where non-Muslims are unwelcome. They also begin to recruit among street gangs, prisoners, and other discontents. France has an 8% Islamic rate and has hundreds of cars being burned in street gangs, and these no-go zones revert to rule by Sharia law, and the governmental police often fear to even enter. At 10 to 20%, jihad militias begin forming, churches and synagogues are attacked, and riots occur over things like anti-Islamic cartoons and videos. So, didn't we just hear this in the... Last article, we talked about the Catholics. When they're, when they're in the minority, they're a little lamb. You know, and then they end up becoming a tiger when they're in the majority. Well, this is the exact same thing. The exact same thing. 2%, oh, Muslims all peace-loving. Well, you know what? They need to read the Quran a little bit closer. When it talks about slay those who insult Allah, and all these verses where it says death to the infidels, and an infidel is a non-believer in Islam. Okay, I've done whole studies on this. It is the most hypocritical religion I think I've ever seen because it's okay for them to go and kill everybody and do what they want to do and shove their stuff down our throat but you know if we dare speak out against them in any way shape or form they have a right to kill us that sounds fair to me where do I sign up so this is the exact same thing when they get to 5% they, they develop the enclaves and the ghettos we're non-Muslim but by the time they get up to 10 to 20 they're, they're true their true colors and their true things are actually coming out. See, a lot of people say, yeah, but most Muslims aren't like that. That's because they're not fundamental Muslims. Ever hear of a fundamental Bible believer? That's somebody that, that views the Bible as fundamental and they try to live, live the Bible um, you know, in their life. A fundamental 
Muslim is somebody that is adhering to the Quran the way that they should be in order to be considered a good Muslim. Just because most Muslims are not that doesn't mean that the Quran doesn't say all these things about killing the infidel and slaying them and pursuing them, torturing them. So at 10 to 20%, the jihad militias begin forming. Churches and synagogues are attacked. Riots occur over things like anti-Islamic cartoons and videos. Kenya and parts of India and Russia are in this category. Above 40 to 60% unfettered persecution breaks out against all non-believers with genocide and ethnic cleansing in Albania, Bosnia, and Lebanon. See, just all that, all that determines this is the percentage of people that are Muslims. If they have the right percentage, their true colors really start to show. And you see what they're all about. The goal is to usher in what they term as Dar es Salaam, which the Islamic House of Peace, which is what they call the Islamic House of Peace, where everyone is Muslim. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Somalia, and Afghanistan are examples of 99 to 100% Muslim race. Shara rules the Quran is the only, in, in that environment, Shara rules the Quran is the only word, and even possessing the Bible in these countries can be a capital offense. And I'm talking they'll kill you. Bishop Nazir Ali also stated that only Judeo-Christian values could stand up adequately against the threat posed by radical Islam. Amen. I totally agree. He does not believe that Britain has enough of these values left to resist the attack. I also agree with that. Not to say that America is any pillar of whatever either. In the U.S., at 1%, Muslims are at 1% now in the U.S., we are seeing the gro- grouping and the resistance to assimilate into the rest of society. These become the seedbed for later efforts in the ultimate takeover of the nation. The big question is, will America have sufficient Judeo-Christian values to resist? Well, hey, if we look at John Hagee, I think we can all rest good tonight. What do you think? I think we can all sleep well knowing that John Hagee takes his stance on, on that and all these other backboneless 501c3 corporate pastors that are out there that are just totally hirelings, that are just purely in it for the money. Yeah, I, I think we could rest well now. Of course, that all depends on the soul winners and, and prayer. Ministries that focus on Muslim societies are reporting many conversions, especially among the young people. When, when the young people discover that the God of the Bible is a loving, forgiving God instead of a vengeful, unpredictable judge like Allah. Now, remember, God does have a vengeance side to him, okay? Um, but the Allah is, a, is, is always displayed as a very distant, vengeful, unpredictable judge. Allah is the moon god. Okay, just to let you know, Allah is not Father God in heaven. Okay, like they would want you to believe. He is the moon god. We've done whole studies on that. And again, just key in the word Muslim or Islam in the search box on my homepage, and there's usually a PDF associated with all those. You can click on the PDF, and it will um, give you the whole documentation packet on the Islamic religion. So when these uh, Islamics discover this uh, regarding Jesus Christ, they often accept Jesus even though it sometimes mean, means death at the hands of their own family. Bible believers, if we can win enough Muslims to keep the percentage to 1%, we can prevent the problems here in Euro- here that Europe is experiencing. For help in witnessing to Muslims, see Christ, Muhammad, and I, who is this Allah, anatomy of the Quran, and Islamic invasion from Chick publications. They also have a lot of really good tracks on... Um, on Islam. I believe that is it for the, um, the uh, Chick tracks. I'm just going to touch on this a uh, little bit on this uh, 
article that's come out. And there's a lot of stuff this week that's coming out again on the potential Iranian attack. Um, whether we get attacked or whether we attack them, it just keeps coming out over and over and over again. It seems to die down. It seems to come back up. And I've done several teachings on the whole subject of World War III, Iran, Islam, uh, Israel, and these types of things. This is entitled, uh, Senior Israeli Official Says, If Nuclear Talks Fail, Bush Will Order Iran Attack Between November and January. Now, I've also seen a lot of sources saying that this attack could occur anywhere between now and September 30th. Uh, it says, this assessment was reported by Israeli National Radio Saturday Night, quoting a high-placed security, quoting a high-placed security official. Uh, the source predicted that George W. Bush would order Iran attacked between November 4th and the presidential elections, between November 4th presidential elections, and his exit from the White House in January. Now, if he did this, we're going to have martial law. In martial law, he never goes out. So if George Bush, the maniacal, egomaniac, demented person that he is, does this, it would be no surprise that he would do it, because then he gets to stay in forever. Okay? Now, if any of you doubt this about George Bush, just email me. I'll send you a little article titled, The Fruits of, of Bush. And you can kind of judge it for yourself because a tree is known by his fruit. And if you say, no, I don't care, I won't look at it, I don't really care what you're saying to me, well, then you've judged a matter before you've heard of it, and then that is a folly and a shame on you, according to Proverbs 18, verse 13. So, again, I would encourage you to look at that information if you don't understand that. The quote, this quote was aired shortly after the six power talks with Iran and Geneva, with U.S. official participation for the first time. Uh, that failed, and just before Israeli chiefs of staff set out for Washington. Uh, he is to spend a week there as the guest of Admiral Mike Mullen, who is, uh, was an admiral. The political sources describe the disclosure as a step aimed at, at slowing down the collapse of Israel's stated policy of relying on international diplomatic pressure to thwart Iran's acquisition of nuclear arms. It is expected to raise a furious outcry from the power spearheading the diplomatic effort and to promote extreme reactions from Tehran. In other words, if, if Iran is attacked between November 4th and his exit from uh, Bush's exit from the White House in January, this is going to uh, raise a furious outcry from the Islamic world, obviously. Tehran may well seize on the Israeli disco disclosure as a pretext to ditch nuclear negotiations on all levels unless all six powers offer guarantees against their pursuit of military initiatives. Now, Russia and China would most likely back Iran. This is one of the reasons Iran has been so bold lately because they've got the backing of Iran and, and uh, of Russia and um, China. Uh, also, they believe that the only way that they are going to usher in the Imam Mahdi, which is their savior they've been waiting for, is through massive, massive amounts of bloodshed. So they believe this has got to happen. in order. So this is why I believe this is really where World War III most likely is going to take place, in the Middle East. You know, America and Israel against Iran and possibly Russia and China, this type of scenario. Now again, it's, it's, you cannot be dogmatic about any of this, but I at least wanted to throw out this information just so, you know, you would have it to kind of, uh, you know, reference if, if anything did go down. Now, this next report is about what they call EMPs, uh, and it's, it's from uh, World Daily Net, and it's, it's entitled, Surviving an EMP is to Depend Upon Preparation. 
Uh, a report from the Federal Commission to assess the threat of the United States from electromagnetic pulse weapons, or EMPs, has painted a bleak picture for America under such an attack. Electrical grids down, uncontrollable fires from exploding gas transport systems, no communication to summon firefighters if they could come at all, no, no water to battle the fires, all in all, all in city after city after city. The 200-page report says Americans should look to past incidents and then multiply those impacts by a number of cities that could be hit by such an attack. For example, San Diego County Water Authority and San Diego County Gas Companies experienced severe uh, electromagnetic interference. Both companies found themselves unable to actuate critical valve openings and clothing, closings. This inability necessitated, uh, necessitated sending technicians to remote locations to manually open and close water and gas valves. Averting, in the words of a subsequent letter of complaint by San Diego Water Authority, a potential catastrophe failure of the aqueduct system. The report explained the potential impact that could have and included an aqueduct rupture with disruption of service, severe flooding, and related damage to private and public property. World Daily Net has reported several times the threat of EMP attacks, including just two weeks ago by William R. Graham, chairman of the commission, told the House Armed Services Committee that an EMP attack is one of the small number of threats that can hold our society at risk of catastrophic consequences. And we're going to look at that in a second, why that is so. Not taking the steps necessary to reduce the threat in the next three to five years can both invite and reward attack, said Graham. The scariest and most threatening kind of EMP attack is initiated by the detonation of a nuclear weapon at high altitudes, ranging from 25 to 250 miles above the Earth's surface. The immediate effects of the EMP are disruption of and damage to electronic systems and electrical infrastructure. Such a detonation over the middle of the continental United States has the capability to produce significant damage to critical infrastructures that support the fabric of U.S. society. Several potential adversaries have the capability to attack the U.S. with high-altitude nuclear weapons-generated electromagnetic pulse systems. A determined adversary can achieve an EMP attack without having a high level of sophistication. For example, an adversary would not have long-range ballistic missiles to conduct an EMP attack would not have to have long-range ballistic missiles to conduct an EMP attack against the United States. Such an attack could be launched from a freighter off the U.S. coast using a short or medium-range missile to loft a nuclear warhead to high altitude. Terrorists sponsored by a rogue state could attempt to execute such an attack without revealing the identity of the perpetuators. Um, Iran, the world's leading sponsor of international terrorism, has practiced launching mobile ballistic missiles in the Caspian Sea. Iran has also tested high-altitude explosions of the Shahab-3 missile um, and described tests as successful. Iranian military writings explicitly discuss a nuclear EMP attack that would gravely harm the United States. So in other words, they could have boats off the coast covertly and launch these things into high altitude. The nuclear detonation occurs, and it's not so much the nuclear fallout as it is what it's going to do to the electronic devices. That's going to be the main thing. The committee's report analyzes the impact of an attack on electrical supplies, telecommunications, banking, finance, petroleum, natural gas, transportation, food, water, emergency services, and government. The news was dire throughout. The electrical grid, for example, is needed to distribute water, food, fuel, communications, transport, financial trans transactions, emergency services. Should significant parts of the electrical power infrastructure be lost for any substantial period of time, the commission believes that the consequences are likely catastrophic 
and that many people would die for lack of basic elements necessary to sustain human life and urban life uh, in, in dense urban and suburban communities. In fact, the commission is deeply concerned that such impacts are likely in the event of an EMP attack, uh, are likely in the event of an EMP attack, unless practical steps are taken to provide protection for critical elements. Current disaster preparedness and recovery plans may be of little or no value under the EMP attack because of the length of time it would take to obtain and install replacement parts and repair the damages. In other words, it's going to fry everything electrical. Frying everything electrical, one of these attacks. Can you imagine if that happened in America, as dependent as we are on the electrical grid? Uh, it would be pretty unbelievably devastating. Everything would essentially shut down. This would shut down every facet just about of our society because we're totally dependent upon electricity to make the world go round. No electricity would mean out-of-control water, natural gas, or fuel flows through the distribution systems. You've got to have electricity to have the gas pumps to get the gas to where it's going to go to get the water to where it's going to go. Some explosions would then likely happen. Fires would ignite. No emergency services could be contacted for help because if they were on the scene, it's unlikely they could get any water. Can you imagine? Even worse, when such fires burn themselves out, the repairs are begun. Supplies could neither be ordered nor delivered because of communications and fuel disruptions. And the critical workers' need for repairs uh, might not be able to get actually to the location. At some point, repair and re recovery simply would become impossible. There is a point in time in which shortage or the exhaustion of critical items like emergency power supply, batteries, standby fuel supplies, replacement parts, manpower, together with the degradation of all other infrastructures and their systemic impact, all would lead to collapse of restoration capability. Society will transition into a situation where restoration needs increase with the time as resources degrade and disappear, the report warned. Theoretically, an EMP attack is devastating because of the unprecedented cascading failures of major infrastructures that could result. And because of America's heavy resilience on electricity and electronics, the impact would be far worse than in a country less technologically advanced. Graham took the EMP debate out of the realm of science fiction by reminding the committee that as recently as May of 1999, during the NATO bombing of Yugoslavia, Russian leaders threatened a U.S. congressional delegation with the specter of an attack that would paralyze the U.S. China also has this capability now as well. The consequence of the EMP is that you destroy the communications network. And we are, as you know, and as the Chinese know, heavily dependent on sophisticated communications, satellite communications in the conduct of our forces. And so whether it's from an EMP or some other kind of coordinated anti-satellite effort, we could be in a very bad place. Now, again, if we had an EMP attack, martial law. We've got no communications. We've got everything shut down. I mean, if that's not the pretext for martial law, I don't know what would be. Ultimate recovery from an EMP attack could take years, during which time America very well may have to exist without many high-tech services, from cell phones to damaged towers unrepaired because of part shortage, part shortage shortages to a disruption in the food supply path because of fuel shortages. So they've been warning about this for a long time, and Iran is the main one that they're talking about could actually be able to pull this thing off. Briefly, a single nuclear weapon exploded at high altitudes above the United States will interact with the Earth's atmosphere, ionosphere, and magnetic fields to produce an electromagnetic pulse radiation down to Earth 
and additionally create electrical currents in the earth, said the report. EMPs affect are both direct and indirect. The former are due to the electrical systems, and the latter arise from the damage that shocked, upset, and damaged and destroyed electronics controls then inflict upon the systems in which they are embedded. The indirect effects can be even more severe than the direct effects. So, anyway, I just wanted to make people aware of that. Uh, in regard to EMP. Now, what you can do is go up on the Internet and key in the word, keyword search EMP and defense. And you can see there's certain things that they recommend that you can do to, let's say, a removable hard drive to protect it. Okay, I think it's like wrapping it in tinfoil. This would actually protect a hard drive from an EMP attack. Now, again, I don't have all that information in front of me, but there is things that you can go do and search out on the Internet in regard to protecting your own electronic equipment. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and end part one there, and we'll go to part two next.